Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Anna and Brian from the Amato World Podcast, and I'm here today with our next guest for the AI episode, um, Paul Dowling, who is the founder and CEO of Mindstream AI and Artist Flux. Hi, Paul. How are you? Hi, Brian. Hi, Anna. It's um, it's great to be here. Hi, Paul. Thank you for coming. Uh, sorry for my cranky, husky voice. Um, but yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, can you give a small introduction to yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, hello, everybody. Um, yeah, I, I guess I've been in the startup um, and art world now for approximately 20 years. Uh, before that, I was a management consultant. Um, and before that, I was a, a technology salesperson. So I basically had quite a long and varied um, career. Uh, the current part of this really was when I dropped out of management consulting uh, about 20 years ago. I was with Capgemini. Um, and then I fully immersed myself in the startup world, um, mainly based around Shoreditch. Um, and, uh, and when uh, things became more technical, in other words, it went, moved towards deep tech, uh, I, I started to build ecosystem around King's Cross. And it's that stage that I founded uh, Mindstream AI which focused really on uh, AI consulting and AI training. Um, and in parallel, I developed my career um, as an artist uh, with, under the name of Flux, and I have a studio in uh, Hackneywick uh, where, I, where I paint from. Okay, and that sounds like, a, I guess, a quite an interesting path into space. Could you give us um, a little bit more maybe um, insight into how you got involved specifically with AI? And so what was your first experience with it? And why are you, uh, I mean, I guess, why do you see this as uh, something you want to continue um, working with? Yeah, sure. Well, well, obviously, AI has now been around for quite a long time. I think, you know, at least 20 years. Um, and I, for certainly for part of that 20 years, I was more involved in non-AI stuff. I was involved in the consumer internet around uh, shortage. But I think, I was one of the earlier people in London to kind of um, really realize that AI was going to become mainstream. And it was from that kind of vantage point of working with startups uh, in Shoreditch. So I kind of realized that the main um, AI thing wasn't really going to necessarily happen around Shoreditch, but was perhaps going to happen around King's Cross. And so the way I got into it, I, I guess I just sensed that there was this big, um, you know, you've got the, the Turing Institute, you've got the Francis Crick Institute, um, you've got DeepMind, you've got Benevolent AI. So in other words, there was a, a, an emerging ecosystem. And I kind of realized I had to do something which was to promote uh, startups and entrepreneurship within that ecosystem, because at the time, actually, it was just these very big players. Um and I started really by creating something called Deep Tech Mondays, which um, I strategically placed in the bar um, below Deep Mind um, in, in Pancras Square. Um, and uh, that kind of really, that was an immediate success. I mean, discovered right from the beginning, um, we had sort of 50, 60 uh, engineers uh, coming to that event on a monthly basis. And I could see really what the, where the emphasis was. So the emphasis at that time was uh, around AI and health, um, which is an area which is an area that um, King's Cross or the Knowledge Quarters, as it's called, um, has become very well known for. 
Um, and so basically, I carved off the AI health thing. I created a new uh, event called Healthquake, um, and then started to work with the Crick Institute and persuaded them to, to create um, an AI health accelerator, which was called KQ Labs. So that kind of really was where the kind of action really started. Because up until that point, it was really more about building community, building ecosystem. It was definitely a big milestone to get the Crick Institute to agree to do a an AI health accelerator, which actually is still running seven years later. Wow. That's, it sounds like there's quite a bit of, you know, um, events that you've been, I guess, involved in organizing. But can you tell us... Um, sort of people that attend those events, like in more in depth, where are they coming from, these engineers? Yeah, I mean, I mean first of all, I should probably say that, um, I should probably say that events are really my go-to strategy for building ecosystems. So, you know, I don't like to think of myself as an events organizer, but uh, coupled with um, a very strong presence on social media, um, events are great for building community because, you know, you get a lot of people turning up and you can, you can also um, validate ideas with those groups, so with those events, uh, people attending those events. Um, so even prior to the AI side, I'd really been running uh, events out of Google Campus. In fact, I think probably I ran more events out of Google Campus in London than anybody did during the lifetime of that um, facility. I mean, literally it ran into hundreds of events. Um, and so I learned a lot from doing that. And, uh, you know, when I really wanted to build AI ecosystem, I realized the way to do that was really both to create groups online, but also to, um, you know, create uh, events and accelerators and initiatives and things like that. And it's, these are all methods really of building ecosystem. So in terms of the people that are turned up, I mean, even I remember even at the first event, we had engineers from the Turing, from DeepMind, from the Crick Institute. Um, from the digital catapults and from uh, from the Open Data Institute and people like that. So this really was my strategy. I mean, my strategy was to get together really kind of the best brains in the area and, and start thinking about what to do. Because um, and, and I'm still doing that today with things like with uh, you know sandboxes, AI uh, safety sandboxes, etc. Could you perhaps share with us, you know, if like to to your knowledge, you know, has there been any you know, great positive impact that come came from this or any kind of initiatives or good conversations that arose from that, um, that I guess, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think I, 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 I don't want to take credit for, for things that are not necessarily entirely down to me, but I think I was a big part in, uh, in, in building that ecosystem. So, I mean, I think the, the overall success, um, which is down to much more than just myself, is that uh, the Knowledge Quarter, King's Cross Knowledge Quarter, um, is now uh, a world-class uh, AI health ecosystem ranking up there, you know, in the top two or three. Um, and it's attracted, uh, you know, so as well as the people who are already there, like Google and Meta and people like that, you know, it's it started to attract big pharma um, companies coming in there. And so I think that, that the contribution through the accelerator program, which, like, you know, the CRIC were amazing in, in supporting this, the, the CRIC being the largest um, uh, biomedical um, research establishment in one location in, in Europe. Um, and, and also sponsored by the likes of the Wellcome Trust and an organization called LifeArc. 
this kind of put um, money and support into uh, emerging startups um, through, and it, and it really leveraged the ecosystem to help those startups. Um, and and that, that's been a big success. I mean, really, as as witnessed by the fact it's going seven years uh, later, it's really uh, each co- cohort is ten startups. You know, that's like seven seventy startups that have been helped through this particular process, um, alongside all sorts of other initiatives that are going on all uh, in the background. I mean, I also run, um, by the way, um, the London PyTorch Meetup, which is the deep learning platform for Meta. And although that took a big holiday during the lockdown and has only just come back, uh, it came back with a, a with a you know a, a huge success. We we did the first one at uh, um, Revolut, and the Meta guys were so impressed that the second one was at Meta, and I think it's now going to be at Meta in the future. Um, so yeah, I mean, my what I do with Mindstream is I build ecosystems. Um, and then I provide uh, services like accelerators, hackathons, training, and all sorts of uh, um, initiatives such as those um, to really try to stimulate the grassroots entrepreneurship, which is something I kind of passionately believe in. Well, I'd like to explore sort of the, I guess, the uh, the other side of um, you know of your interests at the moment. So you also, you know, you're also, uh, as you describe yourself as, you know, an artist, Fox, maybe you can talk a bit more about uh, that and perhaps the artistic side of your um, interests? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, 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 over time, and if I go back far enough, I've you know, been interested in art since I was a teenager. Um, clearly, at the beginning, there was no real connection between my art and, um, you know, and, and, and what I did with technology. But I think more and more, uh, as things have developed and in recent last couple of years, uh, the two have become very uh, closely attached. And so, uh, my, so I am, for example, using um, generative AI, um, mid-journey and tools like that to create art. But I'm also uh, doing conventional paintings almost as a counterpoint to uh, to AI. So I'm really looking closely at uh, you know how this whole interaction between uh, technology and art is going to play out. Um, and I think it's pretty complex. You know, I think first of all, I don't think that art is going to be destroyed by AI. Um, I think artists uh, can use AI to um, ideate and also to develop their skills, etc. But also, um, you know, conventional art is, is, is pretty powerful and uh, it, it can do things that uh, it can still do things that AI can't do. AI is good on kind of doing details. It's good at doing futuristic stuff. Um, but, you know, what, what, what real artists can do is they can think differently and they can interpret things and they can, you know, I think they're going to act, I think art, artists are going to act as great counterpoints to this AI revolution that's going on because at the moment it's kind of in the hands of the left brainers, the, um, the Silicon Valley left brainers. And I think it requires uh, a certain uh, amount of the, of the right brainers, the, the people who are more involved in the humanities than in, um, in you know what humans are looking for to act as a counterpoint towards AI and really try to figure out what's going on there. So I guess as someone who is sort of sitting in between these two issues, it'll be interesting to get your opinion on 
see a lot a lot of the the concerns last year about how you know AI could be uh, taking people's jobs away. It's particularly you know um, within the creative industries, there are a lot more concern about that because of say um, you know all the stuff that OpenAI can do, um, you know all kinds of like Gen AI tools that can generate images. And now nowadays, you know, we are getting to the point where even videos are within the realm of Gen AI. So do you have any um, thoughts about that? I mean, I, I certainly think that anybody who's involved in any creative industry whatsoever, whether it's music, art, fashion, whatever, uh, certainly can't ignore uh, AI. AI is going to happen and it's going to provide tools that those people can use. Um, I think it, 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 one has to keep a close eye on how the providers are you know, are providing those LLMs and how they are training those LLMs. Um, and, you know, there, there, there are certain lines they shouldn't be crossing. I mean, they shouldn't be directly copying, um, you know, people's styles and putting them out without uh, watermarks, those kind of things. They should probably be uh, rewarding uh, creatives for um, their hard work. So all of that's important. Um, but I actually do see it. Uh, AI is kind of net positive um, for innovation and in the creative sector. So, so I think it's really, you know, art is always difficult, you know, whether it's music or, or, or painting. Um, and what AI does is it kind of opens up a new dimension um, to explore. And I think that's what art is always about. I mean, it's, art is always about exploring the, the boundaries of um, where you can get to. Um, and, and AI is here and it's not going away. And so I think one has to look at it very, very positively. I think if you just kind of um, sit there and say, okay, it's not going to affect me, um, particularly if you're in commercial art of some kind, you know, for example, as a graphic designer or, or some kind of um, field such as that, um, where, but even there, I think you can see it as a positive. I mean, I think you can just say, well, look, I've just been given some amazing tools that kind of takes out the drudgery of my, of my work. Um, so yeah, I don't think that the, if that's the, I don't think that's the biggest issue surrounding, um, AI. I, I personally think the biggest issue surrounding AI are really the, um, the amount of, um, AI that is really in the hands of a very small number of very powerful billionaires. Um, and how this is going to create polarization uh, in society. And also it's going to kind of put those people in such a position of power um, that, uh, you know, it's even going to challenge governments, really. So these, these, these powerful people are going to have a huge say on how we live in future. And I think that's very dangerous. So I guess, uh, speaking of, say, people in power, do you think, you know, how much do you think regulation... Uh should get involved with, you know, this topic of AI? Because I think a lot of people are saying, you know, there needs to be some level of regulation, but there's obviously a balance they need to strike in terms of inhibiting innovation and all of that. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a difficult one. At the moment, I think what, they, what what's going on is a, is a polarized argument between the, the EAs um, and the EACs or whatever they're called, the, the, the people who want to um, go slowly and the people who want to accelerate. 
Um, but actually, I, I feel this is a kind of trap that we're being uh, put into by by wealthy and powerful people. You know, I, in other words, select one of the, these two choices, either of which actually is a huge disadvantage to society in general. And I think that probably the solution is 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 not polarized; it's somewhere in the middle. So I really like this, the the concepts really around responsible AI because it, you know you you can you can still have guardrails. You don't have to swing to having no regulation at all. Um, on the other hand, I think um, uh, along with the, the the people who are up for acceleration, um, I am a great believer in open source AI. Um, which some people believe to be rather dangerous. Because, but again, it's really because I'm, I'm worried about too much power being centralized. And I think what, o- what open source does is it puts out the tools to the, um, you know, to developers and it, it effectively democrat- democratizes the process. Um, but it does have to come with guardrails. And actually, I'm, uh, at the moment, I'm involved in a, 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 um, AI safety sandbox project, which is not yet fully, you know, out there, but we're developing it at the moment. And the whole point of such a sandbox is really to get in a lot of, to experiment with a lot of ideas around how these guardrails might work, how you can regulate open source. I mean, there's so many uh, undecided topics uh, in, in AI at the moment that you, you really need to have this sandbox type environment, whether it's my sandbox or other sandboxes, um, AI institutes, things like that are going on. There needs to be the, the ability to experiment, um, you know, and you know, sometimes quite creatively, playfully, whatever. The worst thing that can probably happen is just to completely overregulate and put up these regulatory hurdles, which will kill innovation and kill creativity, and will be prob- will end up, I think, as more dangerous in the long run than than you know letting uh, a lot of uh, innovation take place. So I guess um, maybe on on the topic of uh, innovation and more about perhaps the stuff that you're doing. So, you know, prior to uh, the last question, you did talk a little bit about how people can use AI to enhance their own perhaps creative workflow and all of that. Like, um, I'd like to hear about maybe your experience personally using AI and how have you um, maybe integrated that into your own like creative workflow? Yes, I I mean, I I have uh, got my own personal take on this and that has been a little bit that I've kind of had this idea that um, a lot of art is created on the handset these days, you know, on the iPhone or whatever. Um, so I've kind of tried to do, actually create most of my art on my on the small screen of my iPhone. Um, and so really accessing tools like Midjourney and Dali Free, literally on my iphone when i'm you know on on the move and uh, between meetings and all sorts of other sort of variations of that um but getting a kind of pretty well immediate results by um you know creating the artwork either using my finger or you, you know varying mid-journey taking things and playing with it putting it through different kind of filters and all sorts of different uh, experiments um, but but hardly ever coming off my iPhone. Now this is a particular take that I've I've developed myself because it's very convenient and um, and I think it's quite an experimental way of doing it and it gives a kind of self discipline. 
um, that you don't necessarily get if you, um, you know, if you're working on a on a large screen on a on a laptop or on a on a large device and working maybe more like a tr- traditional digital um, creator. And I'm not saying one one one, one approach is uh, right or wrong, but I think. In a way, we've just been given a new set of tools, you know, like a bit, bit, bit like an artist being given a whole new paint box or a new new set of canvases. We've just been given a huge new set of tools and, and actually an ever-changing set of tools because there's a change every week or two at the moment. Um, yeah, and so it's really just a question of, about how to dive in there and use these tools. Um, and I think you're, you're, you're kind of... Um, uh, you know the, the the things that guide you as an artist they don't change just necessarily because you're using ai you've still got those um those issues those um uh, themes that you want come across as an artist and by the way i mean art art is just as difficult with all these tools as it is normally i mean it doesn't it doesn't really make life that much easier because you still have to use a, a huge amount of judgment as to what is new and different and what speaks to people and all of that is just really art basically rather than technology i think this by the way is one of the problems is that a lot of people now believe that they can be artists because they they've mastered mid-journey or something like that and i think they're probably missing the point about what art really is so i guess um maybe on that note um to sort of any artists out there or anyone who's curious but not sure how to jump on this technology do you have any advice um if you know how they can uh, perhaps adopt this technology or yeah or or maybe advice in general about um sort of exploring ai even if you're not an artist yeah yeah and i think it by the way i think it very much is the same artist or not artist because you know there's such a crossover between let's say using chat gpt to do blogs and and or to use the more the more visual forms uh like mid journey and dali um you know they they they're very similar uh, mindsets involved and so the the advice really is to is to is to dive in uh, and and probably you know don't overload yourself you know dive in on a few and try and figure out what um platform is closest to what you want when you start um but and then from that point onwards keep an eye out for 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 new and interesting things that are coming along I mean, you can be completely crazy about it and spend your life picking up on the latest product, um, but I said that's a pretty hard way to do it. And I think the way I would do it myself is to to limit the changes, uh, you know, until you see some sort of new uh, thing that you you actually feel um, a pull towards uh, trying, you know, a new a new a new video product or something like that. Um, but yeah, not not maybe to jump on every single new product. For a start, you'd probably be paying quite a bit in subscriptions, and secondly, you know you're constantly training yourself on things that you may not be using in future. So I think you have to kind of just pick pick and choose one or two that maybe also best suit your your objectives. You know, if you're if you're an artist, you might be wanting to do static images, but you might also want to be doing moving uh, sort of installations, you know, digital installations. And so you just have to be looking to see which uh, new product can uh, give you the effect you're, that you're looking for. So, you know, I'm also curious to understand um, or to get your opinion on, you know, 
what is the most exciting development in AI that's happened in the last year? Obviously, there's been a lot of things happening, um, but I'd like to know sort of what you personally see as you know, something that excites you for, for example, the future of 2024 and beyond. I mean, I think probably it, it's still um, chat GPT that's um, maybe had the most impact. And uh, I think maybe it's more about how these technologies are being used that's that's exciting i think the idea that lots of these products are now integrated into people's workflows into products you know like microsoft um and i think we're just at the start of this journey where uh, these tools are going to be commonly available particularly in the corporate world um and they're going to you know definitely change the way that that, that, that we we all work um taking out some of the drudgery um, and I, but I think it's also, yeah, there's also exciting opportunities, I think, in corporates. I think as we see um, chatbots uh, ch- chatbots being developed more, um, becoming more intelligent, um, I think it's just the, it, 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 we're, just a, we're just at the beginning of a very, very exciting phase. Um, I, one observation would be that it's, with the corporates, it's not necessarily all about, um, know complex uh, consulting to get the products into those corporates i think it's a lot about grassroots adoption and training and one of the things that mindstream does is is it gets involved in ai training um i think yeah i think a lot of adoption is just going to simply occur as people in their current roles uh, whether it be in marketing or logistics or wherever it is um, get intrigued and start to say, you know, how do I use these new tools in my job? And it won't need coaxing necessarily. People will do it because it actually looks interesting. It's much more uh, accessible than the way they currently do the jobs, and it takes out the drudgery. Um, I think how they, how this pans out over the next um, you know, year or so um, and how it changes uh, industry is going to be is going to be it's going to be so exciting. And do you have any other predictions uh, for the future of the AI field, as well as your own projects? Um, I mean, I guess I, it, it's hard. It's hard for me to have insights that other people don't have because I'm, I'm clearly looking at the same information as everybody else. But I, th- I think that uh, multi, you know, about multimodal. I don't want to sound like I'm just quoting cliches, uh, but mo- multimodal it, it, and how multimodal pans out. Uh, is going to be the most interesting thing probably in the technology you know so whereas at the moment we're sort of relatively sort of one dimensional in terms of text uh, generation and video generation whatsoever um it we're, we're probably just at the beginning of that journey and and therefore it's not, not that far off before we're just going to be able to i don't know talk into a screen and create a create a movie or something like that you know i think it's the the, the consolidation of the technologies into kind of more like human experiences, like you know, create me a you know, create me a hit record or or create me a, a video or a film or whatever. Um, it, it, I think certainly on the creative side, it, that's that's the way it's going to go. Um, I still hope that uh, that there's a huge human um, uh, element to all of this, and that, that you know, people will be able to more think of themselves along the lines of a film producer, film director, 
um, rather than uh, you know have the whole uh, artistic process taken out of their hands. Um, but I, my personally, I feel that that will remain because I think the hu- humans are so competitive about uh, creativity that you know even if the baseline comes up uh, because of uh, AI. There's, there's going to be a human sitting there somewhere going like, well, okay, I just want to take this to the next level of, of quality performance. And that's really what entertainment and the arts is all about. It's always about moving things along to the next stage. And at the moment, I think it's only humans that really have that kind of extra layer of value add on top of anything that is produced by a machine. Thank you for sharing your opinion on that. Um, I think we are reaching the end of the podcast, so I'd like to leave the last uh, minute or so for you to um, leave any last words to our listeners or, or, you know, share a bit more information about how people can find out more about the work you do with mainstream AI, or maybe um, if they want to look, you know, a little bit more into sort of the art that you produce, how can they find and get in touch? Yes, thanks, uh, Brian. So, um, yeah, in terms of um, connecting with me, probably the easiest way is on LinkedIn. Perhaps we can leave a link for that. Um, or uh, anybody interested in my art, it's um, at flux underscore underscore art on Instagram. So please do check it in on that. Um, I've always got uh, initiatives going on, and I think the next one I would probably like to highlight is we're doing a really nice uh, AI fashion event um, in London on the fi- on the evening of the fifth of March. It looks like it's going to be highly successful, but a really nice event. Um, I'd probably follow this up with some kind of uh, a creative accelerator in the summer. Um, and anybody who's really interested in this kind of AI sandbox domain, which uh, at the moment, I'm really working with people like Meta and uh, um, Stability AI, various other companies uh, in the knowledge quarter. So anybody who's interested in that, again, but I think the best way is to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm fairly uh, diligent there. Um, I also run a, a group on LinkedIn, which I would invite anybody who does connect with me into that particular group. So, um, yeah, there's um, many ways to get hold of me, but we'll try and get a, a link to uh, to the audience. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll include all those links in the description of the podcast, so we'll make it easy for people to find you. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. All right. Yep, that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>